Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right, welcome back, everybody. Let me get right to it here. Uh, I want to revisit a quick subject that I mentioned in the last episode regarding those college students who were murdered in Idaho. This was, you know, this is a particular subject that I've written about as well. Uh, I wrote about this in Violence Among Students and School Staff. The normalizing of the behavior of putting yourself on social media, in particular when you're flashing skin or showing TNA or, or whatever it is that you're doing on social media, in particular Instagram, because that's basically what Instagram is for, and what, what people do on Instagram is take pictures of themselves relentlessly. When a person does that, they're inviting in all of the weirdos. They're inviting in everybody who wants to get a sneak peek of them without being identified. And then, of course, the normalization of it is equally as disturbing because younger generations believe this all to be normal. And again, when I was younger and I was a kid in the 80s, it would have been called pornography or softcore pornography. But now it's just the normalization of what, what people their age do, apparently. Again, putting their entire lives on social media and Instagram, including where they live, how old they are, where they go, what they do, everything. And then they're shocked when someone would be stalking them or following them or doing something even weirder than that, like wanting to kill them. Uh, apparently, that was kind of the case with at least one of these Idaho victims uh, at that university is that one of them was allegedly being stalked. The business of stalking isn't even something that would typically happen if it weren't for social media, if it weren't for people putting their lives out there and pictures of themselves constantly on the interweb and addresses and everything I mentioned earlier. I mean, it, it just wasn't a thing. Uh, you know, yeah, you would get the occasional stalker story, I suppose, in the news back in the 80s and 90s, but nothing like today. It's constant today. So this, again, is, is part of the, oh, I don't know, social media normalization of particular perversions that, again, just attract the weirdos. And then when something terrible happens, people are surprised that something terrible happened. Again, I, I fully understand that they were college-age students. They were probably under 21, so there's no way that they'd be able to carry a gun. But uh, even so, you know, ask yourself this basic question. When was the last time that you were up at 3.30 in the morning walking around a town and eating at a food truck? Again, at 3.30 in the morning or 2.30 in the morning or somewhere around there. The answer is probably never. The only people that do that that I know are homeless people, drug addicts, and college students. That's it. No one else in society does that. Children don't do it. Mature adults don't do it. It's just, it's not a thing. You've heard me mention cumulative risk before. All of that are more variables in that entire scenario. And I just wanted to revisit that because, again, uh, Cicely from New Mexico sent this my way. Uh, this is apparently turning into some kind of a horrific trend. 
just your average gunfight between uh, a New Mexico student, University of New Mexico student, and a New Mexico State University basketball player. This comes from the Albuquerque Journal. Dot com. It says a gunfight between a University of New Mexico student and a New Mexico State University basketball player early Saturday morning ended with the student dead and the player wounded outside a dormitory of the UNM main campus in Albuquerque. The journal confirmed that the injured Aggie player is 21-year-old junior forward Mike Peak who was taken to a hospital and said to be in stable condition. The 19-year-old University of New Mexico student was pronounced dead at the scene and has not been identified. Apparently, police don't know why the shooting took place, whether or not they knew each other or not. Uh, No motives were identified, I guess. But, yeah. Just your average gunfight on a university campus, no big deal. Uh, let me see here. Switching gears slightly. Here's another one. This is from Missouri, not murder related, but discrimination related to say the least. And now again, the shoe is on the other foot. Weird. Weird how one of these stories would even make it to the media, but it has. This is uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ex-principal sues Ferguson Florissant schools claims discrimination against white leaders. I'm going to get into this rather quickly here because I've I've brought this up numerous times before. This is not a new thing. It is it is not new. White individuals are discriminated in the workplace all of the time, constantly, in particular, if again the individuals who are doing the hiring or the people that are running the place uh don't care for white people or might not be white themselves or whatever it may be. Again, the card can be played from any angle, from any level, or any dimension that you want. If you can conceive it, it, it occurs. So this kind, of, this kind of behavior is not new. And in this particular case, as I'll read, it's very quick, but they basically told the person that they were getting rid of their position only to then rehire somebody for that same position who just happened to be black. So they got rid of a white guy, and then they hired a black guy. They lied to the white guy as to why they were getting rid of him, And then they hired a black guy. Uh, This happens constantly. Again, not not a new thing. And uh, discrimination takes place not necessarily to people's faces, but certainly during the hiring processes. They'll look at a person's resume. They'll make a determination. They'll even look at their name, maybe their street address, and they'll say, well, they're privileged or they have this or they have that. And then they just won't hire them altogether. I remember I sat in an interview. A number of years ago, for a very small college in Indiana, and uh, it was evident to me that, and I I don't mean this to sound arrogant, there's no way it's not going to sound that way, but uh, it was evident to me that I was the smartest person in the room and the smartest person at the table because my resume was more extensive than what others had done. I had written more, I had more speaking engagements, things of that nature. But one of the individuals who was engaging in this interview, three of which were black, I might add, who were, who were employees there and worked there, they weren't running the interview, but they were a part of it, um, a part of the education department. Um, they were all generally friendly, 
everybody at the table was friendly, but there was one individual who was certainly colder than the rest. And this was the individual that actually brought up privilege. They actually used the word privilege. Well, we have some privilege here and that's kind of a problem and, and whatever. And I thought to myself immediately, I went, I, I don't want to work here. I don't want to work here. Because what was ironic about it, and, and this is where the left always caves in on itself, is she just got done talking about how, she basically got done talking about her own background. And she said, I went to school here myself. I graduated. I've lived here my whole life. And then they hired me. And now I work here. And now I'm in the process of helping other people hire, helping this department hire other people. And I believe she was a advisor, academic advisor of sorts. Um, and I again, she she used the word privilege without saying the word white in front of it. And I thought to myself again, did you hear what you just said about your own background? And you have the audacity to bring up privilege. You went to school here. You've lived here your whole life, and then they hired you. What's that called? The very place where you were going to school hired you when you asked them to hire you and you applied to, to work there because you knew the place and you had a degree from there. And what's that called then? They just, you know, they don't hear the words that come out of their mouths. They, they, they either do and they don't care or, or they just assume that they're passing one over on people. And it's very bizarre to me, always has been. Um, but I left thinking to myself, what I what I was I mean I was asked some pretty good interview questions. Um, I always like that question that they ask you where they'll say, "What was the last book you read?" Or uh, you know, "What are the what are the last five nonfiction books you've read?" That was a, that was an actual question, and I just blew them out of the water because what was weird is is that at the time I was reading three Eric Hoffer books all at the same time. And they didn't know who Eric Hoffer was. So I told them about Eric Hoffer and some of his writings and whatever. And they're like, oh, we'll look that up. Uh, either way, it was, it was just a bizarre interview. You know, nice people. But then again, the hypocrisy is astounding. So here's how this story goes regarding Missouri. It says, a former principal sued the Ferguson Florissant School District this week, claiming he was discriminated against because he's white. Yep, yeah, that's that's probably probably true. What's interesting, I'm I'm add one more thing here is that he almost has to have stone cold proof that that was the case. Some kind of an email or a recorded verbal exchange where they basically say we're getting rid of him because X Y Z. Uh, it says the following: Mark Weller filed suit Wednesday alleging that he was demoted and forced to resign as the district was undergoing, quote-unquote, systemic efforts to rid itself of white administrators, unquote. Weller worked for the district for 22 years, including as a teacher and assistant principal before serving for more than 10 years as the director principal of the Mark Twain Restoration and Wellness Center, formerly the Mark Twain Student Support Center. The center is an alternative school program in Florissant uh, serving students in grades 6 through 12. Weller claims that he was demoted from director to a teaching position in March of 2021. According to the suit, 
he was told that his contract would not be renewed because his position was being eliminated. Then the district hired a replacement who was black. Weller took about $55, a $55,000 pay cut in the demotion forcing his resignation, the suit claims. In all, he was paid about $108,000 in 2021, according to district salary records. A spokesperson for the school district said the district would not comment on personal issues. The Mark Twain Restoration and Wellness Center has come under recent scrutiny in the I'm sorry, as a part of the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education investigation into the district's suspension policies. Post-dispatch columnist blah 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 reported in August. Some parents of students who were sent to the center after being disciplined in traditional schools complained of inadequate instruction and supervision in virtual programs at the center, according to the column. He is now serving Weller is as the assistant principal at Fox Middle School in Arnold. And attorney John Lynch is representing him. Okay. It just proves again that where you find even the smallest specks of, of discrimination, regardless of how small or big, there's always going to be a history of a lack of morals, a lack of values, unprofessionalism, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's not uh it's not new. The, the education business is notorious for it. And that leads me to this next thing, which again, you know, they, I, I'm not sure how I would, what I would categorize this as. It's a bit of, um, it's, it's a bit pale, I would say. No, no reference to skin color or anything. It's just, it's, this particular video was a bit pale and, and a bit bland. Um, Prager U. You're probably familiar with this, Dennis Prager's Prager U. It's a it's a Prager University of Information and blah blah blah. First of all, I'm not a fan of Dennis Prager for a variety of reasons. Uh, he's a hypocrite. That's one of them. Um, I find it odd that he of all people would take it upon himself to write a bunch of very thick books about the Bible. Um, as an Orthodox Jewish man, I don't, I don't understand that, but whatever. He wants to interpret it his own way and then lead people into his interpretation, I guess. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I just don't, I don't think that he's ever going to hit the nail on the head with, with very serious topics. In fact, I'm certain he won't because it would require some, uh, some serious reflection and I don't, I don't think he's interested in doing that. Um, you know, he too came after Kanye West. He went after Candace Owens for standing up for Kanye West. Um, he loves the word anti-Semite and anti-Semitism. He says it all the time. Doesn't know it's not a real thing. Uh, you know, the the list is long. But when it comes to, again to the to the subject of education, he and his people, I guess, correspondents, whatever, decided to put together a video called The Biggest Bully in School, Why Public Education is Failing in America. Now, it should come as no surprise why that's the case. I bring it up here constantly. And, and you, are, of course, are very well aware as to what is going on. Um, I thought that the 19-minute the video was, again, rather bland. It hit on a lot of issues that they would love to convince people exist 
everywhere in the field of education, and it's just not true. So it's the old yarn of bringing up tenure, and then the old stories of bringing up the rubber rooms, quote unquote, that would exist for particular teachers who were uh, unionized and weren't allowed into the classroom because they were either bad or they were doing the right thing. And this is where they, again, make two of their mistakes right out of the gate. I'm going to play one clip, which is actually very good, and it has to do with teacher unions and, and how unions do not care about school teachers, parents, or students, and they have openly come out publicly, of course, and, and said so on numerous occasions. It is not their concern. They are political, they are money-based, and all they want is power. But at the beginning of the documentary, they talk about tenure and lead people to believe that tenure is something that exists in every school district across America. That is not true. Not by a long shot. In fact, I would go so far as to say that tenure is in the vast minority of school districts in America. Most school teachers are hired on an annual basis, a year-in, year-out basis. And whether or not you're a member of a union or not, the illusion always exists that the union has your best interests at heart if you're a paying member of a union. That, of course, is not true either, and they mention that. But tenure is not one of those things that exists in many K-12 school districts across the nation. If Administrators don't want to hire you, or there's a student shortage. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter how long you've worked there. Um, if you're, you know, closer to the bottom of the list, so to speak, or you're on an administrator's shit list, you're gone. That's that's basically it. They can either move you from building to building, or just outright cut you loose. And that tends to be the case. So. I do understand that tenure does exist and that a lot of terrible teachers are tenured and, uh, you know, as long as they don't have sex with a kid and show up drunk and with a needle sticking out of their arm, filled with God knows what, um, you know, then they're going to keep their job. But there's also this, this misconception that those rubber rooms exist everywhere and that's not true either. That's typically a New York City thing. I'm not saying it doesn't exist other places. I'm certain it does. But they have these holding cells where they'll put these teachers and they'll basically tell them that we don't want you in the classroom, but you're tenured, so we can't fire you. So we want you to provide lesson plans and we want you to do this and do that. And you're still a paid employee, so you still have a job to do, but it doesn't involve working with children right now until we can find you another place to teach, basically. The misconception is that all of the all of the bad teachers are the ones who find their way into those rubber rooms, and that's not true either. This is why Dennis Prager and those around him, and and why a lot of these organizations in the quote unquote alternative media never dive deeper and never objectively look at all angles. In those rubber rooms, what you will find in many cases are whistleblowers. You will find educators finding themselves in those rubber rooms because they have uncovered serious, serious crimes by either the union themselves, the administrators, the teachers, the district, whatever it may be. Uh, I remember a video from a number of years ago. I may have linked it in one of my previous books, as a matter of fact. 
uh, I think I did. I think it's in Purposeful Deception. Whether the link still exists or not is another story, but it was a guy who had uncovered serious financial fraud and misspending from district officials, and he was tenured. And as a result of being tenured, they found out that they found out what he found out about them, and they put him in one of those rubber rooms. And that's where he stayed. He was making like sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year for basically just doing nothing on a day in and day out basis. He said he wasn't going to quit. Um, he didn't have to quit because he didn't do anything wrong, and all he was going to do was use the time in that rubber room to uncover more information about the district while the district was paying him, and that's what he did. So, again. Bless their hearts over there at the old Prager University, but they just don't get everything correct, and there's only so deep that they'll go on on specific issues, and they certainly don't want to look at different angles because then it blows up their initial story or their initial point of view. Here is one clip, however, that proves how nefarious these teacher unions are. And I never paid into a teacher union when I was a school teacher. Uh... You've heard me say this in the past, that what they do with a lot of these school teachers is they immediately tell them that they have to be a member of a union. They just say, oh, you know, it's for your protection and it's a good idea and whatever else. Meanwhile, they're just being robbed. They're having more and more of their money taken out of their paychecks. And, uh, and, it's, and it's usually for nothing. I mean, it just goes right into the union's giant bank account uh, where, you know, where they receive copious amounts of millions of dollars every single year. But they are not there to protect teachers. They are not there to protect administrators. They're there to basically collectively bargain with school district officials, pat each other on the back, uh, put cash in each other's pockets, and work with one another to maintain that system. That's essentially, that's essentially it. In fact, if I was to make a comparison, it's like the FTX stuff that we're hearing about regarding the cryptocurrency, money laundering, and, and all of that. The, you know, the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, has been connected to that, but so has the RNC, the Republican National Committee, and Republicans and Democrats in Washington, D.C. I would go so far as to say that that FTX system and all of that money laundering, sending money to Ukraine, and then it finds its way back into politicians' pockets, or fundraising efforts for their own campaigns. It's all done to maintain the dual party system because the dual party system is on life support right now. And again, if I was to ask anybody and anybody listening to this, if I was to ask you these two questions, you would probably be able to come up with one answer very quickly. The other one, probably not. I don't even know. And I'm not even going to look it up because I don't care. Uh, (laughs) But who is, here's the first question, who is the Republican National Committee president? If you said Rona McDaniel, you would be correct. Mitt Romney's niece, I believe. Now, the second question is, who is the Democrat National Committee president? I have no idea. I, I, I know that it used to be Tom Perez, and they spend money like it's going out of style. Uh, and they're flat broke. And that's it. So 
That kind of money laundering operation is not new. It exists in multiple professions, and it certainly exists in the education profession, specifically with teachers' unions. So here's a quick clip of that uh, short little 19-minute documentary specifically regarding how teachers' unions don't give a damn about anybody but themselves, their power, and their money. They have nothing to do with helping children learn. They have nothing to do with giving children opportunity. They have nothing to do with improving outcomes. And frankly, it doesn't have anything to do with improving teacher pay or benefits. For the teachers' unions, it is about money and power. And we got an honest glimpse into this back in 2009. The top lawyer for the National Education Association for, for decades, he talked about why the union was effective. And he said, straight up, it is not because we care about children. And it is not because we have a vision of a great public school for every child. NEA and its affiliates are effective advocates because we have power. It's not because we care about kids. It's because we have power. It's because we have three and a half million members who are giving us hundreds of millions of dollars every year. That's what we are. How are teachers and students affected by the unions and why is this an important issue to be aware of? The teacher unions are the ones that are often making the decisions without the input from a lot of rank and file teachers. Yeah. Because the unions largely control most of the school boards in America. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is the role that teachers unions played over the course of the pandemic. Now let's get in a time machine real quick. Let's jump in the time machine and go back to January and February of 2021. If you recall, that's when that was the time in history when the shots had first come out. People were just now starting to take the shots. And school teachers were refusing to go back to work. In particular in the larger cities like Chicago, New York, San Francisco, wherever. And they were not interested in going back because they thought that they were unsafe. So who was backing their play? The teachers' unions were backing their play 100%. And that was a constant fight that was constantly occurring. I mean, you had, you know, wrap your head around this level of irony and stupidity. You had, and I even included a picture of this in my last book, you had a an individual who was working for the union as a school teacher feeling unsafe to go back to school in a classroom with students, but they were healthier in inner city Chicago in February and January of 2021, sitting at a table outside in the snow in Chicago where it's probably below zero, sitting in a metal chair at a table, again, in the snow, with their laptop computer to basically prove, I'm going to work, but I don't want to go into the school because I think it's unsafe because of a fake illness that does not exist. Some airborne virus thing that does not exist, I am afraid of, but being out here in a snow blizzard in Chicago makes total sense to me, as they're wearing a mask outside. If that's not a Polaroid picture of the entire education apparatus in a nutshell, I don't know what is. 
it's a perfect example of just how dumb all of it all of this is and the individuals again that sign up to be a part of a teachers union and actually believe by just sort of again not only giving their own money but they're giving over their mind to these corrupt organizations and basically saying well you tell me what to do you tell me where to go you tell me how to think when you make a decision i'll I'll follow you no matter what. You say jump, I'll say how high. That's why they all dress the same. That's why when you see them being political activists, these school teachers, they're all unionized and they all dress the same. They all wear the same color t-shirt. They carry the exact same color sign, has the same words on it. These are, these are NPC robots who are incapable of thinking. And the union loves it. They're paying for their own slavery and they have no idea. But the union loves it. Teachers' unions love that kind of stuff. Yeah, we agree. Let's all get in a room and applaud each other because we have it all figured out. They're the dumbest people that the business has to offer. Just the worst. So if you're interested in checking out that PragerU video, again, it's only 19 minutes long. It's not terrible. It's just not... Uh, it, you know, it just doesn't go as deep as I would have liked it to. Um... Anyway, it's called The Biggest Bully in School, if you're interested in checking that out. I just thought that I just enjoyed that one quick clip because, again, they don't even care. They have no problem looking you in the face as a teacher's union and saying, we don't care about any of you, but we love your money. So shut the hell up, do what you're told, and keep giving us money. And people are like, uh-huh, that makes sense. I'll do that. It's so weird. Speaking of weird and frightening, um. I came across this just the other day. This is not this is not good. This was sponsored by a Democrat out of California, Representative DeSoliner, if I'm saying that right, Mark DeSoliner, and it was introduced uh in the 117th Congress in Washington D.C. on uh May 16th of this year. So, yeah, the latest action of this was in the Senate uh, on, let's see, October 11th of this year, received in the Senate and read twice and referred to the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. This is H.R. 7780, the Mental Health Matters Act. Just a quick review, anytime government puts a title like that on a bill, or an act rather, uh, it's not for what they say it's for. It's usually the opposite, and it's always government overreach. Mental Health Matters Act. Now, I haven't read the whole thing, but here is a summary, and then I'll read a summary of the summary. So anyway, the summary reads as this. It says, quote, The bill requires certain federal actions to increase access to mental and behavioral health care. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It isn't. Uh, continues, it says, Among other provisions, the bill creates various grants to increase the number of school-based mental health services providers establishes requirements for institutions of higher education concerning students with disabilities, prohibits uh, arbitration and discretionary clauses, 
in employer-sponsored benefit plans under the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974 and establishes an occupational research program on mental health. Here's what this means, allegedly. Apparently, this means that the government can set the criteria that your child must meet some sort of parameter to consider them to be mentally healthy. It also, this particular summary of the summary also says that if your child does not meet the criteria, then you can enter in the quote-unquote assigned services like CPS or at-home mental wellness checks uh, without exception, and you have no choice. And then it says, applicable to all students, whether they be homeschool students, private school students, charter, or public school children. Now, we've known for a very long time that government is interested in being the permanent parent. In particular, if the child is in a broken home or the child has no parents, government would love to be the parent no matter what. But even in a functioning home, in a homeschooling environment with a nuclear family, married parents, everybody's happy and everything is fine, government still wants to infiltrate the homeschool environment and the healthy home. They want to be that long arm that just reaches in and snatches a kid out, or, well, we heard something about one of your kids, so we need to do a wellness check to make sure that everything is okay. This happens constantly already with CPS putting their dirty child trafficking noses uh, where they don't belong. This would just ramp that up even more. There's another angle of this that I would encourage people to consider. It's not an accident that the schools all shut down back in 2020 because the bad guys, so to speak, had a plan for American education. They knew that if they removed everybody out of these environments that they can implement their plans once everybody returns, and it would be the very first thing that took place when students returned, that we will have more counselors, we will have more school psychologists, we will have more this, more that. I guarantee that school districts spent a ton of that CARES Act money hiring those people. Again, you may recall a long time ago, I brought up a story of a woman that I met who was hired to be a wellness coordinator, is what they called her. She had a background in real estate, didn't have a single degree in education, had never been a school teacher, but she was a mother. And she was convinced that because she was a mother, that that was her qualifying factor or the qualifying factor as to why she could be the district's wellness coordinator for health, well-being, and nonviolence and anti-conflict, anti-violence stuff. This woman made more money than I've ever made. I taught for nine years. I never even came close to a salary of $65,000. She was making sixty-five grand, and I'm sitting right next to her at a table, and I'm telling her that what she's doing is wrong. I'm basically saying your presentation is wrong. You're, you're, you're off base with what you're suggesting here. It's too much stuff. It's too many acronyms. It's too many programs. None of this works. You have to change the entire environment in order to make it healthier, and that's next to impossible, certainly now. And I was just shocked that she openly said how much money she makes. 
Um, and I also read that in the newspaper, but it was, it was just weird. Point is, is she wasn't qualified. And school districts, I'm certain, again, took a ton of that ESSER, those ESSER funds and that CARES Act money, and they just blew it on more positions like that. Well, we have to have more wellness checks and more wellness coordinators, and we need to increase their pay because it's, you know, the pandemic and the age of COVID and all those other terrible buzzwords and slogans that they use that people just soak up and actually think is real. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's awful, but where of course the rubber meets the road here is is a lack of enrollment and when there's a lack of enrollment in american schools you have to cut you have to trim the fat and those are the positions that get cut but what's happening i mean right now at least where i live and i know this is happening lots of places they're they're losing students and they're running out of money and their tax levies aren't passing so they have to cut these people now the very people that they believe are the most important inside of a school building. Because remember, as far as government is concerned, everyone is retarded. Everybody's retarded in a school. And we need more counselors, more special education teachers, more school psychologists, because everybody's brain dead and everybody has underlying issues, whether they know it or not. Listen to us, we're government. That's what they actually believe. They don't understand that there was a time in American history when those positions didn't exist. They weren't even around. There might be one or two counselors per building, tops, tops. And they actually counseled. I mean, they actually had a background in mental health. And you would work with a child who, you know, I don't know, was abused or a thousand other things came from a, from a terrible home, whatever it was. But that's not what they're counseling now. They cancel paperwork, and they're basically just another secretary to push paperwork on countless people. And then, of course, it's one quick phone call to CPS, and the kid disappears. But the lack of enrollment in these schools is, is what's causing these positions to be eliminated, and I love it. I think it's a great thing. In fact, this is just another example of, again, the lack of enrollment and, and how these schools are in dire straits now, not only, of course, because of their own decision-making, but like I said, when they returned in the fall of 2020, the, the bad guys knew that they wanted to push all of their perversions into fifth gear, pedal to the metal perversions as much as they could, perverse books, perverse curriculum. That's when the drag queen story hour stuff really blew up. Um, you know, you, you, could, you could pick a perversion, and, and of course, there it is in, in, inside an American school. They were seeking to completely redesign the way that American education exists. The one equalizing factor, it is He-Man's glowing sword in this entire thing. It's the lightsaber, it's the, you know, what, whatever weapon that cannot be stopped you, you want to describe is a lack of enrollment. When you leave these environments, it doesn't matter how many perversions they push, the place will crumble to the ground. And someone on Gab who listens to the show tossed this my way. Thank you for doing so. This is from back in September at the end of the month of this year, and it is titled Marin School Enrollment Plummets. And then report. It says the following Enrollment at Marin's public and charter schools has fallen 10% over the last three years, 
the, Mar the Marin Independent Journal reports. This is from California. It says the following, Marin public and charter schools have experienced a precipitous enrollment drop since the start of the pandemic, wasn't a pandemic, uh, the Marin Independent Journal reports. The county's enrollment has fallen approximately 10% since the start of the pandemic, according to the report. Enrollment fell from 32,374 at the start of the 2019-2020 academic year to 29,288 at the start of the 2022-23 academic year, the report said. Several districts have seen even more pronounced enrollment declines, according to this report. Reed Union's enrollment has fallen 25% since the start of the pandemic, and Mill Valley and Larkspur Court Madeira, if I'm saying that right, are down 19 and 18% respectively, the report said. Ross Valley Superintendent Marcy Tran, or Trahan, uh, if that's how you say it, whose district saw a 17% enrollment decline, attributes around half the decline to, get this, families relocating, according to the report. Yes, they are certainly relocating. They're either leaving California or they are relocating away from your school district and they're homeschooling now. I'm telling you right now, it's, it's a horse I've beaten to death, but this is the one that, this is the ultimate equalizer. Just leaving these environments causes them to crumble. And then the part that I love the most is the excuse making. Well, people move and, you know, families change and the, maybe someone lost a family member in the pandemic and that causes things to change. And maybe mom or dad lost their job or got a new job and I mean, they love pointing the finger at anything else other than the fact that they want children who have penises to go into girls' bathrooms and use them. They, they don't want to self-reflect that they are the problem, that their policies and, and rolling out their, again, full-blown Bolshevik Marxist policies uh, from way back in 2020, way back, to now is actually the biggest problem. And the fact, of course, that they're graduating people who can't read and so on and so forth, and the list is endless. They'll never point the finger at themselves. They'll never do it. They'll just scream bloody murder, and then they'll say that they need more money, and they need more health care and more counselors and whatever else. The, these environments would love nothing more than to just be mental institutions. That's really what they want to do. Again, look at all the undercover videotapes, so to speak. I use the word undercover loosely, but you know the, the videos that students have taken over the last two years of their teachers talking politics in the classroom. These are not mentally sound people. They're not mentally stable. And now they're jabbed. So... That's the ultimate equalizer in this, uh, in this collapse as well, and they don't know that either. So I just wanted to mention all of those things because, again, this is sort of the ever-present the, the ever equation that just continues to be drawn out and continues to exist regardless of all of the other things that are taking place right now, and there's plenty going on. But the ever-present equation is that you have students still leaving the environments. You have individuals not wanting to be 
American K-12 school teachers, which means you have a lack of college enrollment, in particular in teacher education programs. And as you've heard me say, if enrollment drops at a college or university, it's the teacher education department that's usually the first one to get the axe. Because there are other, there's always other places where they can be trained to be teachers. There's always other colleges that they can go to to pick up classes, and then they can take area exams and just have enough a certain amount of credits in a particular subject area, and then they can find their way into a classroom setting. But th- th- those are going to be the departments that get axed at the college and uni- university level first, because that's usually always been the case. Yes, there's the gender studies programs and things like that. I mean, th- those get cut too. But uh, teacher education programs are not free from feeling the effects of low enrollment. And they're usually the first to show it, and they're the first to react to it. Um, and yeah, this is, it's just a, it's a snowball that is just getting bigger with time. Again, regardless of everything else that's happening, it is the constant and it's going to continue to be the case. So with every changing semester and the closing of a school year, you're always going to hear about more American K-12 public schools closing or districts shoring things up and maybe even eliminating entire buildings and then keeping other buildings and joining students together because, again, of a lack of enrollment or whatever it may be. So just kind of keep that in mind going forward. It may may be something, again, that I bring up repetitively, but uh, it's, it's, it's just the constant. It's just the way that it is. Okay. Jab-related stuff here, but before I take an exit off, of, uh, off into the jab realm, I have some audio that I want to play here too, but first I want to make a little pit stop in the Dr. Gold exit, if I might. Um, Simone Gold again. I, I know, you know, this is an old saw, an old grifting saw that I keep bringing up, but there's been some new happenings, so to speak. And it's interesting to watch this happen, and frankly, I'm glad it's happening. A lovely individual reached out to me on Gab, who also listens to the show, and uh, they said it's something to the tune of, you know, you have a nose for a narcissist uh, and sniffing them out, so thought you might want might to watch this video. There's a video on BitChute from Renette Sunman. Sunum is her name. My apologies. Renette Sunum, and she is a journalist in California. And she's talking about Simone Gold. And she's dis- it's about 14, 15 minutes long. And she's discussing basically everything that I've brought up on this show. Um, it seems like Miss Sunum has, has certainly figured out who Simone Gold really is. And hones in specifically on the fact that she's probably just a full-blown narcissist. She mentions the timing of particular things. AFLDS suing her, again, the money mismanagement, all of that, doing that out in the open for people to see and then not caring about it, acting like it doesn't exist, acting like she's not being sued. And this is a this is remarkable. Um, at the end of her video, she she asks people to reach out to her to see if she's basically correct or not. You know, uh, let me know in the comments section what you think or, you know, whatever else, if you have some more information, X, Y, Z. So I found her email and I emailed her. 
I said, I, I can tell you a Simone Gold story if you're interested. You, of course, have heard me tell my story of Simone Gold here and my impolite interaction, to say the least. But uh, I told her, yeah, you know, th there's some, th this has been going on for a very long time. Uh, you know, th they're jumping on the Simone Gold thing right now like it's a new thing. And as you know, having listened to me and, and what I've brought up over the last year and a half, this is not a new thing with Simone Gold. It's over a year and a half old. So if not longer than that. Uh, yeah, so I reached out to her and I basically said, uh, I'd love to talk, talk with you if you're interested. So we'll see what materializes there. Very quickly, I'm going to keep going on the Simone Gold thing, but I just wanted to mention this because it just hit my mind. I still have yet to receive any email back from the Oxford High School teacher who apparently took uh, students down to Uvalde, Texas this past Saturday. Strange. Strange how I wouldn't get an email from her. Um, I'm being sarcastic, of course. There's no way she'll email me back. Uh, you know, she's delusional and believes things that are not real. So. That's that. But either way, if she does email, trust me, I'll, I'll read the response on, on the show here. Um, okay, back to Dr. Gold. This is the narcissistic aspect of Dr. Gold also, is that she continues to post on Gab. And if you're not on Gab, that's fine, but I would encourage you to find her page on Gab. And you don't have to have a, have a Gab account to at the very least read some of some of her posts and then the comments below. And this is the funny part. This is why I love Gab. You cannot escape uh, your own illegality. You can't. You can't be a hypocrite and be on Gab and not get roasted in the comments section. So Simone Gold will make a post on Gab as if nothing has happened as if she's not being sued, as if we don't know what's going on. And then you open up the comments section or the reply section underneath one of her posts, and she's just getting shredded. The, the, the comments and the posts are all, you're a criminal, go back to jail, you belong in jail, you're a grifter, and then it's people posting, um, you know, the lawsuit and the Stu Peters thing. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just great. It's great. And and this is, you know, I, I've even, I've torched her on there too. I've said, you know, we, we got to get you off of Gab. Gab doesn't need any more grifters. You know, get off of Gab. Get out of here. Go back to Twitter, wherever the hell you came from and, uh, you know, whatever else. But either way, she thinks she's getting away with it and she isn't. And and she can, you know, choose to be as delusional as she wants. Um, she's not going to be able to escape this one, I don't think, unless, of course, there's corrupt judges involved and other corrupt lawyers involved and whatever else. With that said, I came across this too. I watched the most recent episode of the Five Docs on the Critically Thinking channel on Rumble. Again, Tenpenny, Pilevsky, uh, Northrop, Madej, and, and Merritt. And Dr. Merritt wasn't on the most recent episode. But, but by the way, I recommend watching the whole episode because it really was one of their better ones. It was very good. Uh, they were organized and they were talking about the same kinds of stuff. And it was it was a it was an informative episode. And I'm going to play a clip from it here in just a minute. But at the beginning of the episode, they they got into Simone Gold. They actually went after her, and I'm glad that they did. 
I mean, they were talking about again, these these grifters are out there. There are people who are seeking to delegitimize the movement. And they brought up a couple of things, which even uh, Renette Sunham, Sunham brought up, which was either Simone Gold is in it to make money and profit from it by just being very repetitive and telling her stories and expecting everybody to believe them and whatever else. Always playing the victim, because she always does. I was a doctor during the pandemic. There wasn't one. There was no pandemic, but either way, um, they get into her and they, and they say that she's either in it for the money or she's in it to set, purposefully sabotage the medical truth movement so that it creates uh, a nefarious story about her and other people associated with it to delegitimize basically everybody else who's really telling the truth. I don't think Simone Gold is that smart, doctor or lawyer or not, okay? We've all met dumb doctors and we've all met we've all met stupid lawyers before. I would go so far as to say they're some of the dumbest people on the face of the planet, no offense to the good ones that are out there, but you get what I'm saying. It's certainly within the last couple of years. Um, I don't, I don't think Dr. Gold's that bright. I, I don't think that she's, I think she's conniving, but I don't think that she would play 5D chess like that. Um, somebody else might be using her to play 5D chess with us and, and get one past us. But, uh, I think she's just flat out in it for the money and playing a victim as much as she possibly can. And like I said, way back before she even went to jail. Uh, she gave a small little snippet interview in, in the atrium of some building someplace, and she was talking about, again, how she was going to write a book while she was in jail. So as soon as she gets out of jail, she finds herself on that Reawaken America tour with Clay Clark. Now, me personally, I think Clay Clark is also a grifter, without a doubt. This dude asks for Hundreds of thousands of dollars. He's constantly asking for people to donate money to him and the Reawaken America tour as they travel all over and basically tell people things that you could find out for yourself for free. It blows me away. I mean, they're snake oil salesmen. You know, they come into a town, we got the cure for what ails you. And then, you know, come to the back of our wagon and buy this elixir and whatever else. And then they just, they flock to these events. Like, uh, I don't know, self-important somethings, but it's disgusting to me. And sure enough, uh, standing on the stage behind the lectern, Simone Gold is joking about being in jail and how she had time on her hands when she was in jail and uh, had time to write a book. So you can just read about the truth about January 6th and her January 6th experience uh, in her new book that, that, that will be coming out. In fact, I'm going to play that audio in, in just a second here, but even Dr. Northrup, bless her heart. I, I really enjoy listening to her talk. She, she brought up Simone Gold again in the most recent episode of the five docs. She said, I don't know why in the hell Simone Gold would go into that building on January 6th. And give a give us and and give a speech of some kind. I I don't know why 
she would do that. Dr. Northrup said there were lots of people there. Clearly, it looked beyond dangerous. Uh, and there were a lot of people who were there who were affiliated with lots of other groups and organizations, and they're going, we're not going in there, no chance. We're not going in there. Now, you've heard me say that Simone Gold herself said, and she's a liar, that she just got caught up in the crowd, and the crowd just pushed her into the building, and there was nowhere for her to go. That's a lie, because that's not what she said back in June of 2021 when I saw her speak live, and the same again the very next month. It's, it's just not true. None of that happened. She purposefully went in there to give a speech because her stage was taken down outside where she was apparently supposed to give a speech, and she openly said, I can't think of a more patriotic place to give a speech than inside the Capitol building. So in we went. She's a liar, and she's trying to rewrite, her, uh, rewrite a story because, again, she's a lawyer, and that's what lawyers do. They rewrite stories as best they can so that it makes sense to them, and then it'll make sense to the public, and then they sell it. And uh, yeah, do, basically don't buy this, cr this crook's book under any circumstance. Um, it's, it, I'm sure the whole thing is just filled with lies, wh whatever is in it. Not to mention she was selling her first book for $100. I mean, Jesus, who does that? <laughs> it's, it's beyond insane. Anyway, here's a clip of her. In fact, I'm going to read these comments because this is funny. I'm going to play this clip of her, but first I'm going to read the comment that, that she typed out. Again, this is the language of a narcissist, without a doubt. She's, she's not well. Um, th this is what she wrote on Gab above the clip, and then I'm going to play the clip, and then I'll read the comments below it. She wrote, quote, Do we know anyone who has been in prison for a misdemeanor? Will you do now? I was caged in a horrific isolation cell, and I would not wish that on anyone. There are still J6 defendants in jail on pretrial in America. This has to end. And then here is the clip in three, two, one. The full truth about January 6th and my experience will be revealed in my upcoming book. But as I have a little time in prison, <laughs> so it's all in the book. <laughs> But as you surely realize by now, our corrupted government exploited that event as the means to stop me with a 60-day prison sentence. 60 days for a first-time nonviolent misdemeanor trespass charge. Do we know anybody who's been to prison for a misdemeanor? Yeah, just remember that. Prison was every bit as awful as it sounds. In fact, it was worse. Being a nonviolent woman, guilty only of giving a First Amendment protected speech, I was, of course, rated as a minimum security risk, the lowest of four possible levels, but I was unexpectedly put into a maximum security federal detention center. I was caged, essentially, in a horrific solitary confinement unit meant for extra punishment under the guise of COVID quarantine tiny isolation cell. Eight days of suffocating misery. It was so terrible that once past it, my brain has kind of detached from the memory as a survival mechanism. But it's terrible. I would not wish isolation on anyone. And we have to remember that there's still J6 defendants 
in jail, pre-trial in America. The entire experience from the abuse of a viciously inappropriate FBI SWAT team assault uh, during my arrest, it was very, very aggressive, to the grueling year and a half that pummeled me into taking a plea and then into prison was so exhausting and painful, yet I overcame it and I found victory on the other side. Right? That's right. We really can become champions, even against tremendous odds and horrendous persecution. If we understand and choose to do what we know is right, what is righteous? Barf. Barf. God, I'm playing the world's smallest violin right now. Can you hear it? Ear, ear. She is the worst. Her voice alone. I'm a doctor and a lawyer. We get it. We get it. Now go away. Go away. Again, the lap dogs that are just lapping all this up, it blows me away. I'm, I'm shocked that anybody gives her two seconds of time. I mean, I'm doing it because it's easy and it's fun, but you know what I mean. Actually supporting this monster. Uh, okay. Here are the comments. 67 replies. Are you ready? These are categorized from the most liked all the way down. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable. Here's the first one. It says, quote, what's the jail term for stealing $3.4 from your organization, Dr. Gold? And then there are two replies to that. It would be nice if Dr. Gold actually addressed these charges. Uh, and then another one included the story. Internal strife at America's frontline doctor, Simone Gold accused of misusing money. The next one says, Dr. Gold, you're an amazing woman, doctor, attorney, and incredible patriot. You are a real American hero. Thank you for sharing your story. Blessings. Here's the thing. How does that person make that comment after reading the previous one? Or did they read the previous one? It's amazing. Um, here's the next one. Two years is not pre-trial. It's being presumed guilty and punished without trial. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. The next one says, you're a thief. The next one says, many people see your actions as heroic and history will see it the same. Thank you for your determination and your fidelity to your oath. Again, right above that comment, <laughs> it says, you're a thief. So you can see the, the division here. The next one says, so stupid, I'm sorry you had to deal with that BS. Another one says, it goes against everything to hold them without a trial, blah, blah, blah. The next one says, thank God someone with a platform is addressing this. Where was Trump when you needed him? Uh, you are a hero for what you've done, but our weak, selfish leaders aren't doing enough, blah, blah, blah. Another one says, Dr. Gold, you're our hero. Then the next one below that says, didn't you steal a bunch of money to buy yourself a multi-million dollar home? <laughs> yeah. Again, this is the part of this where, where people are confused. Another one says, you're Jewish. <laughs> it, just, it just keeps going. It keeps going. Uh, numerous links again to 
or scandal and, and other things. Another one says, you're a badass, blah, blah, blah. Look, it's back padding. It's just back padding nonsense. And, and you've heard me say it's false equivalency. You cannot have those two comments make sense for the same person at the same time. You can't call them a hero and a thief in two consecutive comments. It's ridiculous. But I wanted to mention all of that because, again, I was very, I was very happy to hear that the five docs basically leaned into her and, and, and reiterated to their audience that uh, you need to be very careful about who you follow, who you trust, you know, the, the, the kinds of outlets that these people find themselves on. Again, you're not, you're not finding the five docs on mainstream media. Uh, you know, that, that's not an accident. But when Dr. Gold finds her way there, you know, you should ask yourself some questions. When Robert Malone finds himself there, you should ask some questions about old Bobby Malone. And, and what his involvement has really been behind the scenes in all this stuff. You know, when you play with poisons for a living and you call them viruses, um, and then nefarious people that you're familiar with get a hold of, of whatever it is you're doing or you sell it off for massive amounts of money, that's a problem. That's a serious problem because people are dead because you decided to play with poison in a lab. So, I don't know. I could keep rambling about it, but I, I do want to play now this one clip from Dr. Northrup in that, in that episode, and she's bringing up something that is happening nationwide, and this too is going to be the ultimate equalizer in particular for the nursing profession, the medical profession, and hospitals in general. Um, there are numerous hospitals that are experiencing shortages. I'm going to let her describe it. But there's also numerous hospitals, of course, that are experiencing those shortages because they are jabbed as employees. And the employees themselves, of course, are seeing patients come in who have very serious issues related to being jabbed themselves, and so on and so on. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Well, by the way, I heard today from uh, Jim Thorpe. His brother works at Sparrow Hospital in Lansing, Michigan, and he used to, in radiology, be reading 160, 200 x-ray studies um, every day, and now it's down to 70. They don't have the staff. There's no nurses. This is one of the big trauma hospitals. It's like there, there aren't any people to hire. And where was this? Where was this, Chris? Sparrow, Sparrow Hospital in East Lansing, Michigan. Oh wow! Um, so I think that here's what we're going to see: we are seeing the dissolution, the crumbling of the old control system. So whether these lizards like it or not, Klaus Schwab, Noah Harari, whether they like it or not, we're going to. We are creating our own system, and I'm finding. As you said, Carrie, that the circle of trust is smaller and smaller mm -hmm. and smaller. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think throughout history, consciousness has always shifted on a microcosm level and a macrocosm level. And I truly feel 
that the consciousness that's shifting now mm-hmm. is away from looking outside of us for yeah. saving, rescuing, fixing, making better, taking care of to inside, finding our own agency, yeah. understanding our own intuition, uh, relating to each other from a place of not tyranny, which is stop that, go away, get over there, be good, which is tyrannical, <laughs> to a place of, yeah, I need you to stop that. I'm not going to let you do that if I'm your parent, where we're actually speaking in relational language to each other, to ourselves, where we stop this taking orders and giving orders. We have not had a government for decades. We have had a tyrannical system in the United States for a very long time. It has been disguised as a government. It's been paper pushing and special interest pushing and Supreme Court rulings to allow special interests to have singular votes. It is, it is time for the tyranny to stop where outside becomes a reflection of the agency that we honor on the inside. If we want that tyrannical relationship to stop on the outside, whatever that means, yeah. it is mandatory. It behooves us to start changing the way in which we relate to ourselves and the way in which we relate to each other and where we get our support and where we get our answers must come more from inside. So that's reflected on the macrocosm. And that's how we'll shift this consciousness. But waiting for Trump and waiting for this one, waiting for that one, I'm sorry. Uh, it's got to come from inside. It just has to. I agree with that. First of all, regarding Northrop's comments, that, that has to be happening in endless hospitals all over the United States and all over the world. It has to be. There's no way that that's just occurring one place. Um, Regarding Dr. Polevsky's comments, again, I agree with him. You know, those Q drops and those Q posts didn't say sit around and do nothing. That's not what it meant. It meant that there are multiple wars going on. Lots of wars. Physical wars, spiritual wars, you, you name it. And those wars are occurring at different levels. Interagency wars. Wars within, again, just people within government and within specific positions, military, you name it. And then, of course, there's all the stuff that we might be experiencing at a local level, again, whether it be in the field of education or our own jobs or families or whatever it is. There's lots of different things going on, but I didn't, I didn't read anywhere where it said just sit around and don't do anything. Just sit around and, and wait for someone to save the day. We have all we need, and they, they're, I mean, they agree with one another on the five docs, and they're right. We have everything that we need. We have the tools at our disposal. We just have to keep sharing what those are, and sharing those ideas, I think, as best we can. And if people walk away with one little nugget of truth or, or one little point of view that, that, that might open them up to something, then, then that's great. In fact, I'll give you a quick example. Um, and, and it sort of proves, again, that a lot of people are quick on the draw when it comes to criticizing individuals without having the entire story. I made a comment about 
again, back to Dr. Gold real quick. I made a comment about Dr. Gold on Gab. Somebody flat out just came after me and, and criticized me, started calling me names, and what have you done, and who are you, and you haven't done shit, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all I did was, is I thought to myself, all right, that's fine. This person has no idea what I've done, and they don't know who I am, and they just think that I'm some anonymous person on a social media platform criticizing people without having any facts behind it. Even though in my comments, I clearly linked a, uh, <clears throat> or in one of the previous comments, somebody linked that Stu Peters pro, uh, interview with the AFLDS whistleblower. So, I mean, again, you have information to absorb first before you start slinging arrows. But uh, all I did was send him my school board video. And I said, I'm this guy, you were saying. And then I assumed they watched it, and then they got back, and they, they apologized, essentially. They said, I'm sorry. You, uh, you know, I, I had no idea and whatever else. I said, apology accepted. So we're on the same side, but people have got to understand that even myself, I mean, I don't have it all figured out. None of us do. But we have to be a blank slate to some extent so that we can absorb as much information as humanly possible because then that gives us a, a good place to start. If, if you're starting with no facts to bear um, and, and you're just abs absorbing information and then you sift it all through and then make a determination as to what is right, what is wrong, and what might happen with this and what might happen with that, that that's far better than just you know, slinging arrows and name calling, uh, not having everything at your disposal, not having all the facts at your disposal. So I'm guilty of the same thing too from time to time. And yeah, that's the way that it is. But we correct our mistakes, of course. We try to anyway, correct our errors and uh, pick ourselves up and move forward. So here we go. Uh, here's another one real quick, just a couple other headlines that are jab related. From the Epoch Times, now the FDA has said that telling people to not take ivermectin for COVID-19 was just a recommendation. No, 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 it wasn't. We have memories. See, we, we don't have amnesia. These liars, I'll tell you what. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, it says, is telling people to stop taking ivermectin for COVID-19 was informal and just a recommendation, government lawyers argued during a recent hearing. Quote, the cited statements were not directives. They were not mandatory. They were recommendations. They said that parties should do, of what parties should do. They said, for example, why you should not take ivermectin to treat COVID-19. They did not say you may not do it. See, it's all wordplay now. They're going to say the same thing about masks in the future. They'll say the same thing about hydroxychloroquine in the future. They'll say all of this. It's all wordplay. Lawyer legalese wordplay. We never said you had to. We never said you couldn't ever. It was a recommendation. How many times have we heard that word recommendation? School districts took recommendations, and they took it to be fact, scientific fact. Wear a mask, isolate, quarantine, take these faulty tests that don't do anything, lock these children in these padded rooms all day long because Billy or Sally just accidentally coughed once, so they might be ill. It was a recommendation. We didn't, we didn't make it mandatory. 
I'm telling you, no amnesty for these people. None. Zero. We should give them no quarter going forward. Speaking of going forward, the enemy, ladies and gentlemen, is going forward. This was from Twitter at Bernie's Tweets at Bernie Sawforth. Uh, the G20, that meeting with all those satanic losers, um, have signed a declaration which states that vaccine passports will be adopted to facilitate all international travel. This means any vaccination the WHO determines you should have. Changing your rights and freedoms forever, silence from the media. And it says this, quote, We support efforts to strengthen prevention and response for future pandemics that should capitalize and build on the success of the existing standards and digital COVID-19 certificates. See, that's what COVID stands for, Certificate of Vaccination Identification. Artificial Intelligence 1-9. Thank you, Kim Carter, for pointing, pointing out the 19 part, portion of it. Um, but yeah, they're openly telling you. <laughs> I mean, they're openly saying what COVID stands for. This is, this is your digital vaccine certificate right here. Just a couple more headlines here, and then I've got a, uh, a little post from Australia that I want to read having to do with the church's involvement in all of this, because the church is involved. Uh, churches all over the world are getting their talking orders for the COVID nonsense and all of the perversions, and they're, they're involved. Um, this comes from The Guardian. It's titled, Europe Faces Cancer Epidemic After Estimated 1 Million Cases Missed During COVID. Report says 100 million screenings lost because of pandemic, which had chilling effects on research. No. Although, well, that, that could be positive, or that, that could be possible, rather, but uh, the, the shots are causing the cancer as well. So let's not kid ourselves on that. Um, two, two headlines here from the expose. This was from November 18th. De deaths among European children aged 0 to 14 have increased by 552% since the emergency use authorization approved the COVID vaccine for kids. Yeah. It says, on the 28th of May 2021, the European Medicines Agency extended the emergency use authorization of the Pfizer COVID-19 mRNA injection to children aged 12 to 15. Six months later, they extended the emergency use authorization to 5 to 11-year-olds. Before, the, before they first did this, deaths among children were well below expected levels, but ever since, they have increased substantially, so much so that by the 6th of November 2022, excess deaths among children across Europe had increased by a shocking 552%, with an 848% increase recorded up to the end of 2021, and a 444% increase recorded so far in 2022. Yikes. Here's the last one from the expose. Great Britain has now suffered 41,000 excess deaths in the past six months, with another 2,000 in the last week alone. It says, according to the official public, uh, official data, rather, 
published by both the Office for National Statistics and Public Health Scotland, Britain has suffered 343,906 deaths since the middle of April 2022, resulting in 41,025 excess deaths against the 2015 to 2019 five-year average. Also, yikes. And here is the final thing. Again, this is, this is without a doubt the church's involvement. And it does not matter the denomination, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, they're all involved very quickly. You know, I, I'd love to have my aunt on. She was a former choir director um, at a Methodist church. She has since quit, thank God. And um, the entire place is going straight to hell, as she would even tell you. The, the way that she was treated with the mask wearing and, the, and, and all of the stuff was an abomination. Um, they made her isolate during the church services, basically, and hide behind a screen uh, while everybody else was wearing a mask because she wasn't going to wear a mask and they didn't want her around. It was just weird. Um, abuse, to say the least, along with a lot of other things. But their messaging throughout this entire time, of course, has been take the jabs, take the jabs, trust the science, God wants it kind of thing. That, of course, is completely untrue. Um, I have no reference to this particular email that I'm going to read, but it, it, I found it on COVID vaccine injuries on Telegram, and they claim that it's from Australia, of course, and uh, it has to do with the Seventh-day Adventists Church. So it says the following, quote, a remarkable phenomenon is occurring today in Adventism. Adventism. It says, under the leadership of Pope Francis, all the churches, economists, environmentalists, policymakers, and governments are working together to heal the earth. Even as sin and anarchy are increasing at an alarming rate in society, more churches are adding their names to the new religious crusade against, you guessed it, climate change. The religion of ecology is replacing the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14, 6 through 12, as many Seventh-day Adventists are moving from saving souls to saving the soil. Now we will be rescuing the planet instead of people. According to the book of Revelation, the great adversaries in the last days used to be the beast, the image, and the false prophets. That all changed now. Today these bad actors have become our friends. They are now our new allies in the fight against greenhouse gases. In the new and improved end-time scenario, we need to foster a spirit of cooperation with the Vatican, the other churches, the UN, the EU, the WEF, and other globalists in order to save the Earth. Once again, we are witnessing a decline in our faith as a growing number of Seventh-day Adventists abandon their belief in Revelation 13, 17, and 18, and instead refocus their evangelism on addressing the climate agenda through Catholic social teachings and secular ideologies, unquote. And there you go. Again, this is how the entire church apparatus operates. Those priests, ministers, you name it. 
They receive these emails, they receive all of this, and if they don't do it and implement it and then prove to their higher-ups how they're implementing it, they get cut loose. It isn't any different than any other profession. Same thing. If the boss tells the quizlings down low, you need to do this to those below you, and you don't do it, you're gone. Not to mention, we've seen a lot of the memes with the messages that are outside on on those, uh, you know, on the church signs and whatever else. It doesn't just say, you know, service at 8 o'clock on Sunday. It'll say something like, transsexuals welcome. And that never used to be the case. But I'm telling you, all these all these old corrupt systems are doubling down. They all got their talking orders. They 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 got their running orders. They got all of them, and it was way way back. This was this was pre-planned a hundred plus years ago, and that's putting it mildly. But 2022 or 2020 rather ushered the whole thing in, and they've got their orders, and they're not backing down. But these corrupt systems are crumbling, and that's the best part. And they can't, for the life of them, again, just like education, they can't figure out why. Can't figure out why you don't have a flock anymore. Can't figure out why people don't want to give the church money anymore. It's because of what they're doing. It's because of who they've always been and what they've become. It's an abomination. But uh, if they close, good riddance. Good riddance. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's Thanksgiving week. There will be an episode on Wednesday. There will not be an episode on Friday. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.